0: You are listening to the Lucha Central Podcast Network, and now LuchaCentral.com presents "Straight Out of the Bodega" with King Fat Boy Papo Esco
1: from the wrestling world of
2: the podcast world. It's "Straight Out of the Bodega" with your host, the King Fat Boy Papo Esco, and on this fine Thursday, you. Have a ride pulled up. Welcome to another edition of Straight Out of the Bodega. I am your master of ceremonies, the bully from the bodega, the lucha thug, the one man lucha gang, El Rey Gordo himself, the king fat boy, Papo Esco. And as always, we're gonna take you on this ride. We're gonna travel through the blocks, back alleys, and street corners of the bodega. We're gonna give you everything you need that's pro wrestling and a little bit of entertainment we'll see but i'm ready i hope you're ready so have a seat pour up your favorite drink and let's ride And I said it before, I will say it again, it is Thursday. Happy Thursday. Thank you for pulling up to another edition of straight out of the bodega. You know, normally I tell you I'm doing great. I hope y'all are doing great. And I do hope you guys are doing great. But for me, I don't know how I feel right now, man. I'm in I'm in a weird spot. I mean, as you guys know, and if you don't know, I'll tell you right now, I live in California, so um, by the time you hear this, California's rolled back. I mean we're closed up again uh i feel like we're back to square one and you know i know some of you guys will agree with me that it feels like we've been in this pandemic for years but it's only been months and that should tell you how draining it is you know it's it's pretty draining it sucks and you know for for us in the world of professional wrestling i mean a lot of schools are shut down uh everyone except for the the bigger feds are 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 working but a lot of us on the independent level we're not working and i I don't even know if a lot of us are going to be able to wrestle again i I just don't know maybe i'm overreacting maybe i'm not but you know it's just crazy All, all i can say is i'm gonna stay positive despite how i'm feeling you know for you guys stay safe you know keep social distancing wear your masks you know make sure that we do everything we can to stop this spread so hopefully we can get back to uh, some level of normalcy i don't know but i'm gonna digress right there we got a great show for you today international superstar he's been to CMLL all Japan he's done some work in WWE the brother of WWE commentator Corey Graves my man Sam Adonis is on the show we're gonna get right into that it's gonna be a good sit down I guarantee you all right again I hope y'all are doing well man I'm gonna continue to stay positive you stay positive positive. and speaking of positive let's listen to a positive voice Denise Salcedo. With Lucha Central Century.
0: Hi everyone, it's Denise Saucedo here in Lucha Central Central with a reminder of where and when to catch your favorite shows each week or when to try a new one. Tuesdays, it's the Lucha Underground-centered show, Mass, Mats, and Mayhem. Check out the premiere video stream every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Lucha Central YouTube channel and at luchacentral.com. Then listen to it on your favorite podcast platform every Wednesday. Also on Tuesdays, it's Tuesday, Wrestle Boss with Fabi Chulo, live, covering pro wrestling and MMA from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Pacific. Head to WrestleBossLive.com to listen live and... And even call in or download it Wednesday across podcast platforms. Wednesday nights live on Facebook. It's Spanish show La Mesa de los Margaros. Giving you both the news and the cheese made from around the lucha world. Find the video version on Facebook Wednesday through Friday. And then Saturdays download the audio version in podcast form. Thursdays it's straight out of the bodega with Papo Esco. And PWR promoter Gabriel Ramirez. Guests from throughout the Wrestling world make this a must listen series, and this week El Rudo de las Chicas Sam Adonis joins the show to talk about his non traditional route to the main event of Arena Mexico. First making a name for himself in the UK and then Mexico and more. On Friday it's your double dose of Lucha Central Weekly podcast, one in English y el otro in español. Lucha Central Weekly is where you'll find all the top stories of the week, both inside. And out of the ring from Mexico and anywhere luchadores are in action across the globe. Find out what's happening in empty arenas across Mexico, including Chaos, Lucha Time, and the latest from Mas Lucha, as well as Lucha action in WWE, NXT, and AEW. Also, if you missed any of last week's shows, including Vampiro on Lucha Libre figures and facts, boss fight studios eric araña on business of the business or thunder rosa on mass mats and mayhem luchacentral.com has links to it all for you be sure to subscribe and follow all your favorite lucha central network series on your favorite podcast platforms and please be sure to give a rating and review to help more fans find the shows that you love for now this is denise salcedo signing off from lucha central central have a great week
2: And once again, it's Thursday. Thirsty Thursday. I hope y'all poured up your favorite drink and getting ready for this great interview. Gabe, I said great interview.
3: Oh, so it's not going to be the best podcast ever.
2: You know, I keep thinking that we outdo ourselves every single time. And the fact that that is true to me, yeah, it's going to be the best podcast ever. So today on the show, we're just going to get right into it. I mean, I'm still going to mention that Gabe Ramirez is owner and operator of Pro Wrestling <laughs> Revolution, owner and operator of Pro Wrestling Revolution Training Academy, owner owner and operator and proprietor of Lucha-Mass.com. Go get your mask right now. But we also got a special guest on today. Yes, sir. He he is a world traveler. He's been to Europe. He's been to Japan. He's been to uh, Mexico. Huge, huge in Mexico. And, and he spent some time in WWE TNA. We're going to get into all that. Mr. Sam Adonis, how are you doing, sir?
1: I'm doing great, guys. Thank you for having me. Um, I know both you guys pretty well from some shows in the north northwest uh, of the United States, doing some shows Yo. in this, the Northern California area. So I'm glad to be here with you this afternoon or evening. Yeah, we're,
2: we're glad to have you on. We're glad to have you on. Well, mm-hmm. I don't want to waste any time, man. I want to get right into it. I, I really want you know the, our listeners to get a chance to hear your story. So I, I want to get started with, you know, you grew up in Pennsylvania. Um, shout out to Pennsylvania and, and actually your dad was a wrestling promoter in that area when you, you you know, when you were
1: growing up, right? Oh yeah. I grew up, I I can't really say grew up in the business because, you know, I didn't get backstage until, you know, later on in life. But my dad was a local promoter. He was a volunteer firefighter that used to buy fundraisers ah. and, just, uh, and and ran shows locally since I was about two years old. So the the Pittsburgh independency and, you know, these guys I've been around since I was a small child, but you know, it's just like if your parents own a bakery, you know, naturally you're going to have a knack for being able to bake bread. So, uh, you know, at a, at a young age, I took a love to it. And, you know, I would say I became virtually obsessed and, uh, you know, things steamrolled and, and went in the direction they did. And I've been able to get a lot out of the business that I love so much. How long did your dad so, we- promote for? Uh, well, my dad was buying these uh, the fundraiser events. And it turned out that the events he would buy were doing better than the independent shows. So... The, the the local promoters <laughs> wa- wanted to work with my dad more often. Right. And they kind of, you know, lifted the curtain to him and invited him into the wrestling business. So by about 95, 96, you know, I was six years old. That's whenever it really started to pick up a little bit. And I'd, you know, have a little bit more communication with the wrestlers. And, uh, you know, a few year, a few years later, my brother ended up training to be a wrestler. And from then on, I was, you know, hooked. I would travel all over the Northeast with him. Going to all his independent dates, and you know they called me Little Sam. I was about you know four foot three, fat as can be, and I studied tapes. I knew a lot more about the history of wrestling than a lot of the wrestlers did. So you oh. know I, I was one of your typical little smart marks. And all the boys used to come up to me and you know ask me my opinion of their matches, and I would be honest and usually <laughs> piss them off. You know that's what happens when you're In- honest with someone.
3: Hey, how was my match? Did you watch it? You want to know? Yeah, yeah, brother. Just tell me X, Y, and Z. But can, well, what the fuck but, do you know about you, wrestling, man? Exactly.
2: <laughs> You're just but a can you, imagine, mark. <laughs> can you imagine going backstage and just walking up to this little child and saying, hey, man, did you watch my match? How did everything go? Oh, you suck. You know, the lockup was shitty
1: you know well the thing was at the time at the time i was the only you know one of the only kids in pittsburgh that was studying tapes as much as i did you know i had a big collection of tapes magazines toys you know i was very aware of what else was out there uh you know i was a big lucha fan since i was about four years old because that triple a pay-per-view when worlds collide yeah uh, we saw that live and that kind of blew my mind that there was other wrestling out there you know growing up with wwe and wcw knowing that there was more out there that gave me a hunger. So that's when I started, you know, finding tapes and, and figuring out how the internet worked and just researching. And, you know, a lot of people would come to me for ideas or, or just, you know, they knew that my hunger was a little bit stronger than theirs. And I did yeah. what I could to help, but a lot of people didn't like it, of course.
3: Of course.
1: Uh, awesome. So let, let's let's fast forward
2: from your childhood to about 2008. I would say, if correct me if I'm wrong, but that's when you started – training, right? Now you mentioned that your brother who, you know, is WWE commentator Corey Graves and we'll get into how much you hate him later <laughs> as a brother, but um, um, you know, did you start Training under the school that he
1: trained. I mean, did you follow him in his footsteps there, or did you find your own school? At the time, my dad was actually running wrestling events uh, on his own. You know, he'd broken away from the other companies he'd worked for, and uh, we were just doing basically a monthly show and uh, you know, the spot shows, if you will. We didn't really have yeah. angles or storylines. It was just you know fundraisers and just you know, like I said, the family business. It was something yeah. to do something fun. And, uh, you know, I was turning 14, 15, 16, and it was about time to get me in the ring and get ready to be trained. So, my dad ended up running out a storage unit, and because our promotion had enough steam, uh, it was called FNW, we had the FNW Wrestling School, you know, and it was... That's, uh, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry to cut you off, but
2: that's
3: Far North Wrestling, right? Far
1: North Wrestling, correct. Oh, I think you oh, said okay. FMW, I was like, no, what?
3: No, no, no. It's like, come I on, didn't... brother, I'm gonna yeah. have to cut you off pretty soon, <laughs> FMW! <laughs> 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 no,
1: well, the, uh, the, they opened the school, and we had a couple other students there but i think everybody in the school kind of got the idea that it was you know kind of tailored for me uh my brother he was there two nights a week and honestly you know compared to what wrestling schools are now in a lot of places you know we had it pretty rough you know we had to do all the the calisthenics for weeks before we learned the wrestling we weren't allowed to touch the ropes there was no big bumps being taught you know we learned the fundamentals and the basics you know like they would have 20 years ago or 30 years ago, you know? So uh, he definitely hammered my ass though. You know, he wanted to make sure that I never got – a reputation for being spoiled was that your brother doing the training oh yeah my brother was the one that wanted to make sure that you know nobody looked at me as privileged so i had to work you know twice as hard as everyone and he was much harder on me than anybody else but you know yeah. there, was a, there was a passion there you know that i had yeah. i wasn't going to be held back i wasn't going to be denied even though you know at this point in time i was about 275 pounds in high school you know i was a fat kid but you know i knew exactly easy wh-
3: easy <laughs>
1: easy <laughs> easy I knew exactly. I knew exactly what I wanted to be, and I, I knew I could do it. You know, and I've never really looked back. So the brothers, uh, the brother, uh,
3: the training you got from your brother, that was an extension of who's training. Who trained him?
1: Uh, that was actually just a, a local Pittsburgh company called PWX. Uh, Jim Miller used to be the president of the NWA in the mid '90s, and uh, that, that's where he trained out at some local guys. Okay. But. At the time, my brother was probably the only wrestler in Pittsburgh that was traveling outside of Pittsburgh, you know, doing dates in Europe or, you know, throughout Florida the United States. He was making a name for himself on the Independence. So, you know, I definitely had a good trainer. Uh, I would say he definitely superseded his trainers as well. So, uh, you know, he took the knowledge he gained on the road and passed it on to little bro. And, uh, you know, I definitely did my best to not let him down. And I've been working hard. So I've always been interested,
2: you know, podcast after podcast, I've always been interested in the training of, you know, um, each each inter- interview because, you know, some of the guys, you know, they've been trained with the old school mentality and some guys they were trained, you know, differently. We, you know, Gabe and I have always talked about the difference between the old school training versus a new school training, you know, what you can do and what you cannot do. Um, would you say that your brother gave you an old school training? I, I know you said he hammered you because he wanted you to be not privileged, but was was, was there an old school mentality? Like, was he legitimately beating you up to, 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 to toughen you up for what was to come? And not
1: so much that, but he just pushed us to our physical limit. He wanted us to drop out, you know, because uh, I'm sure you guys can attest to this because it's the same in California as it is here in Pittsburgh and everywhere around the world now there's so many wrestling schools and it's so easy to be a wrestler that you almost have to coddle your students to make sure they don't leave. And that's what a lot of these independent organizations are based off of is their school. You know, back then we didn't really have that problem. This was basically the school was there. The, The money from the school was not going back to the shows. You know, it might've paid rent for the building, but it was more or less just to get me trained. But You know, he wanted to make sure that I wasn't just in it for the glory and, and, you know, being a star. So he did. He he hammered us and made sure that, you know, we did. We got fundamentals. We didn't learn any moves until about four or five months in. You know, I I see now people are running the ropes in the first class. And, you know, none of that was back then. You really had to, you know, show you wanted it and learn the basics. You know, we would work on a hammer lock for three weeks in a row. You know, or, 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 uh, you know, inside cradle, just so many things that were so basic. We basically learned how to wrestle without a ring. And and I think that's something that would definitely be classified as old school.
3: Yeah, for sure.
1: Right. For sure. So, you know, for,
2: from the time of 2008 to about, I would, I would say about 2011, you know, you worked in, in your area. You know, um, I know you worked at Far North Wrestling. I think you did some time in Diamond Championship Wrestling. If there's any stories there you want to tell, that's fine. You can stop me there. But I kind of wanted to talk about 2011 when you got the look from WWE. You, you went to the De- Developmental League, right? Florida Championship Wrestling, as it was called at the time. Right. Well,
1: in about 2000, late 2010, to early 2011, I was kind of, you know, finding my wings, if you will. Uh, I had a pretty good gimmick here in Pittsburgh and I was a heel. And I was just, was very confident. I knew I could do anything. And, you know, this is back in the day, I think my space was, you know, bigger than Facebook, but I was making connections. I was looking at Whatever opportunity I could find outside of Pittsburgh, and I was one of the only people in Pittsburgh that was getting these opportunities, you know. And it helps being six foot four because you know in today's game there's not many people that size. But you know, I, I was just very very confident in what I was doing. You know, I had a good gimmick. I was called Sweetness Sammy Elias. Uh, I was basically a, a throwback playoff of Dusty Rhodes, Ric Flair, and uh, you know Billy Graham, but. Oh, like, so some, so something new. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's old is new again. You know? But uh, I did all that, and uh, I actually went against my brother's orders to send a video to WWE uh. because he knew I was not ready. Uh, I got a professional package done. I, this was back when you you had to mail things in. I got DVD covers, eight by ten glossies, professionally written letters, and you know I got an opportunity to do TV. And then you know, I went and did TV. I did well. I got invited for a tryout in Florida for a week at FCW. I did well, and then I ended up down there for a full time job for about nine months of my life. And uh, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, I think my brother was right. I was not ready.
2: Well, I've always heard two different stories for from from that particular you know topic. Whereas you know, yeah. You might not be ready, but the WWE wants to farm you in under their system. So if they have to retrain you, um, you know they will. So, can can you talk a little bit about what you mean by not being ready? Was it maturity? Was it attitude? Was it just you
1: not being where you need to be in in the ring? I mean, well, it back then was a, a different game, and I hate saying back then because I'm only thirty, you know. But you know, this was almost <laughs> ten years ago now. But uh, it, it was. It was a shark tank it was very very competitive um you know you had some of the biggest best bodybuilders in the world along with some of the best independent wrestlers in the world and here comes a 20 year old kid that thinks he knows it all you know i i definitely was in over my head but i was confident that i would have been able to you know turn some heads i thought i'd be able to be the one to shake things up and get it right however you know as soon as i got there they, they basically Took my wings from me, you know. They said, "Okay, hey, dye your hair dark um, and get a body just like everyone else here," you know.
3: <laughs> who was uh who was under your tutelage?
1: I mean, who who were you under when you were at FCW? Well, that was Ty Bailey. Who, who Ty Bailey? Yeah, he, he's the one that gave me, you know, my death sentence. Because honestly, I mean, my entire character was I was a fat guy that thought I was sexy, you know, kind of like a, a Buddy Rose or Buddy something. Rose, yeah. And, and I had my shtick down. I knew if and to this day I stay if I had the opportunity to do what I was doing on the independence in WWE, you know, I probably have a different story here today, but you know, they, they wanted you to conform and to change and be part of their system. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I did it and everything went wrong. You know, I, I, still stay in contact with Tom Pritchard, who was one of the coaches, Norman Smiley. Uh, I, I, didn't have too much time with dusty Rhodes. He was kind of, uh, unattainable for me, but, uh, it was just a, a very vicious system. And, you know, I came in with an attitude that I was going to take over the world, and they didn't like that. They broke my spirit. I ended up getting a uh, knee surgery, and, you know, a couple of weeks after I was cleared to wrestle again, I was released.
3: But isn't isn't what you're saying now, you know, pretty much what you just said now is they broke your spirit. Um, but isn't that what the whole old-school mentality is? I mean... Oh, was, well, for sure. I mean, were you not were you not ready for something that harsh, or what? What took you back? Because I mean, a, a lot of the stories when people go to WWE, a lot of them are taken back because, in, in my opinion, some of the people who go to WWE for the most part are not ever groomed on the indie scenes. They're brought in, obviously, you know, they were good at something else, and they look good physically. So you want to train them to be wrestlers, and then when they start wrestling, um, they're missing the whole culture of wrestling of 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 paying your dues and you know things like that well with you having that harsh you know old school mentality from your brother and so on how different was you know the old school that you were being trained under to the old school mentality that they you know sort of so broke your spirit i mean well what's the difference like what actually broke
1: you it was basically just a lack of life experience. You know, this is the first place I've ever lived outside of my parents' house. Uh, uh, I'm moving to Florida, you know, I'm trying to, to meet girls and, and do things and, and have fun and live a normal social life, you know, trying to adapt to the WWE system. Right. And, and then when they take that away from me, that's something that, you know, as a kid, you don't understand, you know, that you're going to say, I thought you hired me for this. You know, and, and you know, if you get hired at Walmart as a janitor and they ask you to move to the electronics section, you can't complain.
3: I said, you look, know? I have these great ideas for marketing. Right? I'm going to give you my long list of what to do. Once I'm done with these bathrooms, we'll have a meeting and I got great ideas for marketing. It'll be
1: great exactly i was one of those i was a. I was trying to be a people pleaser you know i I didn't know the you know keep your mouth shut and your ears open i did what i could to to, uh you know impress people but a lot of times i I would have been better off sitting in the corner and blending in so you know it it was definitely a learning experience but i think in hindsight it was you know probably the most important thing that happened to me because just having that one year on a resume has opened so many doors for me sure
2: oh absolutely now you said you had uh uh, still a a relationship with Dr. Tom Pritchard. You, you have a still a relationship with, uh, Norman Smiley, but, but you also, uh, you also struck up a friendship with, with William Regal, right? And through that friendship, you were able to get opportunities in Europe
1: after you were released from the developmental system. Is that correct? Yeah, that's actually a really wild story because, uh, Regal started coming down to do commentary for NXT, right? Uh, I I don't even know if it was NXT yet. It might've just been FCW, but he was coming down only at our TV tapings to do uh, commentary. And randomly, some Wednesday morning, Tom Pritchard called me and said, hey, Sam, I need you to go pick up Regal at the airport. So Regal's just genius and knows everything, every corner of this business. We sat together in the car and he said, hey, you know, when we're together, I want you to pick my brain. I want you to use this as a, you know, an opportunity. Wow. So, you know, me being me, and, and I don't know if it was the right answer or the wrong answer. I started asking him questions about British wrestling from the eighties. <laughs> <You know, laughs> nice, nice. I'm saying, yeah, tell me about this. Did you, work, what was it like working for Otto Vance and CWA? What's, you know, in a way that I guess it kind of, you know, surprised him because to him, I was just another FCW guy. Yeah. But, but the other end of it is why does this 21 year old kid care about this stuff? You know, so we we struck up a relationship, and he actually got it to the point where you know every time he'd fly in, I was his driver. I'd pick him up from the airport. There and, you go. Uh, yeah, so we we became friends. Uh, after I released, after I was released, I wanted to go to uh, Orlando just to watch the TNA tapings. This was the Saturday after I was released on a Thursday, and I just wanted to go watch the tapings. So I go there and apparently there's some lottery system and people waiting outside for tickets and stuff. And I'm like, screw this. I just got fired from WB. I'm not waiting in line to go to watch DNA. So as I'm (laughs) rounding, as I'm rounding the corner, Regal happened to be there with his son and his uh, wife at the time. And, I told him this is the situation how i got released and how you know this isn't the end for me I, you know what can you do he said give me a call on tuesday i'll call brian dixon in england and uh he ended up getting me hooked up with all-star wrestling in the united Kingdom, wow. where i spent the better part of four years and that's where you began working as sam adonis right that's where the sam adonis character came to life exactly when i got there uh the first night in Uh, Brian Dixon, who's a legendary promoter and, you know, everybody has an impression of Brian Dixon because he's one of the guys that's been around for, you know, 50 years. Uh, he said, what's your name? I said, Sam Elias. He goes, no, you're Sam Adonis now. (laughs) It's that simple. As (laughs) simple as that. And, and it was just, he didn't think about it for a second. I don't think he had it in his mind, but, uh, it worked. I was doing the the you know American gimmick over there. Uh, it's funny because I'm well known for coming out to the ring with a flag in Mexico, but in Europe, I always came to the ring with an American flag. And that was one of Brian's little pet peeves. But you know, hindsight being 2020, you know, there's a certain way you learn to work an American flag. It's not just a prop. You don't carry it over your shoulder. You know, you know when to use it, how to use it, when to wave it, when to use it as a weapon. You know, that four years of experience working with a flag ultimately played into my success in CMLL.
2: Yeah. And you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but this, you did have a, a huge feat. Uh, in your time in, in Europe, you, you were actually the first American to hold the British Heavyweight Championship, were
1: you not? Uh, yeah, that was actually a super huge honor for me because, like like I said, I'm an old school mark. You know, I like this stuff from the past. And, and you know, I, I've always been a true to life heel where my job is to come to town and get beat, you know, and send you home happy because you got to see your favorite baby face win. So, you know, I, I spend most of my career on my back. But, you know, the time came where it was my turn and I was able to be the British heavyweight champion. And, uh, I mean, that's a belt held by Fit Finley and Tony St. Clair and you know Marty Jones, Robbie Brookside, some of the biggest names, some of the best talent in the history of pro wrestling. Right. It's just, oh, you know, yeah. yeah, it's All-Star is one of these places where I always said it's the last wrestling territory because we were doing 150 shows a year, you know, and in my opinion, there's no substitute for uh, experience. I'm working with these guys day in and day out, getting better every day. So, you know, the time had come. I was in the right spot, right time, and I was confident. And, you know, it happened and, and it made sense. And it's something I'll always be proud of.
2: British British heavyweight champion Sam Adonis. I like it, man. You, you mentioned Mexico. You took that title to
1: Mexico to defend it, right? Yeah, well, I actually... I never lost that title. Uh, <laughs> do you still have the belt was, and do you defend was, it? at every indie
3: show? <laughs> yeah, I,
2: I was going to get into that. Why don't you go ahead and get into that there?
1: <laughs> I, I actually, I never lost the title. I was supposed to go back and, uh, you know, do another tour for Brian. I believe in July of 2016. But I went to Mexico for a little tour. I defended. I didn't even use the actual belt. I used a, like a, a ringer belt. You know, just because the Mexican fans didn't know any different, so uh, I defended the title for a company called DTU, and then all of a sudden everything started speeding up, and, and I got fast tracked into CMLL, and there was no time to go back to do the job. So, uh, yeah. So, are, yeah, you,
3: are you uh, are you just flat out insulting Mexican fans, or what are you doing here? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. I,
1: I'm stating that your average wrestling fan does not pay attention to the, the majority of independents no. across the world. Because you said Mexican I fans. That. I don't know.
3: I think your ego from in Mexico is coming to life right now. Oh, my oh, gosh.
1: gosh. Listen to you. you you've start, you're, the, you're the only person that started more trouble in Mexico than I have. Dude. <laughs> that, nah.
3: that is not true. That is not true. Well, maybe that, well, maybe that, that, well, first... maybe that one night, but yeah. otherwise, no, not that true. You heard it
2: here first. Yeah. Uh, Sam Adonis is still the British heavyweight champion. That's no right. one's going to tell us any different. <laughs> let's get into let's let's get into Mexico. I mean, you got an opportunity with CMLL, man. That's that's huge. And I, I want you to kind of talk about your experience coming into CMLL. I know sometimes you know a lot of American folk that we talk to, you know, they say that they've had problems with some of the other talents, and you know, sometimes it can get a little crazy. Kind of talk about that, and also tie that into how you came up with this pro Trump gimmick that kind of took off out there. Well, he, so, stole,
3: he stole that from uh, from Brian Cage. because. So, so I've
1: been told. So I've been told. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> um, so w- when I was in England working, Angelico from AAA was actually yeah. over there a, a few times, and we became really good friends. You know, like there, there's very few people in the wrestling business that you could actually call a true friend, and Angelico has become one of them. He knew my passion for Mexican wrestling, you know, growing up watching the tapes and studying and just being a fan, and he always was inviting me. He said, hey, come to Mexico, come to Mexico, come to Mexico. So for about three years, I was just putting it on the back burner, you know, there was no security, there was no job, it was, you know, there was nothing, no guarantees, if you will. So I was actually coming off of an injury and I had some money in my pocket and I said, you know what, I'm gonna go to Mexico, I'm gonna see Adam for two weeks. I got down there and he said, Okay, we're gonna go see Dorian Roldan. We're gonna get a meeting, we're gonna try to get you some work for Triple A. Like, wow, fantastic. <laughs> so I had a few uh a few matches, a few independents for uh DTU, and I met Negro Cassis at one of those events. Ah. And became really good friends with him in the beginning, but you know, that was still premature, if you will. I started uh training at um Ultimo Guerrero's school, because Bandito was a really good friend of mine before he became the, the megastar he is. Um, he invited me to train at Ultimo Guerrero's school, and Ultimo Guerrero caught my eye. Or, 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 I caught his eye, I should say. He invited me to train at Arena Mexico. So I called Angelico and said, hey man, is there any way we can postpone this meeting a few weeks? Because... <laughs> <laughs> I know we're gonna meet with the owner and
3: stuff and all that great stuff, but I got something hot over here.
1: Well, it's it's one of those things. It's CMLL, you know. It's it's kind of apples and oranges, you know. It, it's the the traditional, you know, the, the classic Mexican lucha libre arena, Mexico. You know, the the fan inside me at least wanted to train there and have a few, you know, a few days to say that I did it. And now um, training uh,
3: with Ultimo Guerrero. That's for the ones who don't know. That's like the equivalent of maybe. Uh, An NXT without a promotion—it's pretty much what Ultima Guerrero grooms talent for. CMIL, you know, to to say the least. Obviously, guys can leave and go do other stuff. But you were training at his school, and then you got the invite to do the a, a higher step, which is training with the boys and the larger, you know, uh, students that have a, a scope on. Right. So you got invited there. Did you train with other Americans that got in? with you they were invited
1: or just uh top students from the school i was the only american at the time there was another new zealand wrestler named uh johnny idol who was there training but this is basically the equivalent of of a pro sports team you know having their weekly practice is is just an unbelievable organization and they're so strict and structured that i mean these classes you're still going to see mystico and volador and some of these big stars coming to work out and i would hold these workouts again against any professional athletic organization on this planet because it is absolutely brutal you know the agility and the endurance you have to have and you know being in that environment i had no choice but to sink or swim wow you know and did you have colombo in your ear the whole time Colombo was not the one that had my back. I, I actually had, uh, once I got there, Ultimo Guerrero and uh, Negro Cassis were the two that, you know, really liked me and, and thought I had something to offer. But, you know, again, I wouldn't have fared so well if it wasn't for my time in Europe, you know, wrestling every day and developing a character and really being able to show, you know, my skill as a performer. So uh, I had these ridiculous classes where we're just working so hard and and they're just trying to break us but i also had you know character behind my performances and and you know everything we're clicking on all the right levels and at the end of the day it came out that i had a contract with wwe and that's what opened their eyes to say "Whoa, you know uh there's a lot of american wrestlers that you know go down there and try to get the opportunity but you know being 6'4 and having that perfect amount of experience right around the time that they they're you know promoting a pay-per-view where they need an american you know all the stars were lined and i i literally got a once in a million opportunity and uh yeah it got crazy after that
2: so let's talk about um when you approach cml promoters you know about the whole uh the pro trump gimmick i mean i know that's really what set, set things off for you out there um, tell me a little bit about that and then we can talk about Gabe. Gabe, we can talk about the whole Brian Cage situation and <laughs> <laughs> maybe a little, maybe a little hijo de Trump. We'll see. Right, we'll right, see how that right, is. Right, right,
1: right, <laughs> right. Well, me and Brian are okay right now, so I don't, I don't want to, nah. <laughs> um, basically there was no idea to do a, a gimmick or, or a, uh, you know, a, a Trump character or anything like that i've always just been a big fan of rick Rude. and i realized that you know everything in in wrestling right now is emulated but due to the fact that airbrush art is quite expensive in the united states nobody has long airbrush tights like rick rude did right right. so basically when i was down there i said you know what it's cheap down here i'm gonna get it done and i started getting these tights made with airbrush art all over these things um i was in a pay-per-view for the Grand Prix, which is Mexico against the rest of the world. Right. You know, some New Japan guys are there. Uh, I don't recall exactly who was on that particular event, but uh, I just thought it would be funny to put a picture of Donald Trump on it. I had the Statue of Liberty. I had a dollar bill. I had an American flag and Donald Trump. There was no thought to it whatsoever. It was just kind of like, yeah, that'd be funny. What year was that? That was 2016.
3: Yeah. It's funny you say that because I got called – to fulfill um, an American spot for that Grand Prix, uh, Ray Bucanero called me and says, "Hey brother, we need a we need an American. You know who can you send us?" And I was going to send uh, Border Patrol people down there, right? So I gave them the you know, images and all that stuff, <clears throat> and then got a call saying, "Okay, be on standby because they need something." And then lo and behold, that's when uh, your gimmick came out, right? And I was like, "What?" What the hell happened? So, like, I had no idea where that came from. And for, for, for me, it was just like, where, where where did this guy pop up from? And sure, why, does sure. he have, uh, why does he have the gimmick that I proposed? And so, for me, I was like, well, did this guy, you know, just jank it? Like, who is he? Like, I had <laughs> no clue. All I know is that I called Buka and said, brother, uh, what happened here? And he goes, oh, no, he was already here. And I was like, well, then why the fuck did you call me? <laughs> and then from there, that shit took off for you.
1: Well, it's one of those things where like, you know, people always say that it's a a Trump character and it's a pro-American character. And I I kind of, you know, argue with that a little bit because I'm just (laughs) the, the gimmick. I'm just a piece of crap. You know, if I always, I used to have this interview, you know, all the time with the big news media organizations, I would say, you know, if you had a peanut allergy, Sam Adonis would throw peanuts at you. You know, if you were allergic to tomatoes, I'd throw pizza. at you. It was just, you know, I I was just a crappy heel. That was the gimmick. You know, I was gaudy. I was over the top. I was in your face, you know, and and it just kind of happened at the time. You know, that's what I knew would anger them. And that's what I went with. And, you know, Afterwards is when I decided to turn it up a little bit, you know, Right. but, but the character, you know, I went, I worked probably three months in Mexico without the flag, you know, that didn't happen until the, the election. That's when it really took off. Right. But, you know, I, I, it was just one little thing and I knew it was, it was kind of something special when backstage, all the the agents were coming up to me and, you know, showing their friends, say, show them your leg, show them your leg. Everybody's laughing, just going crazy. Cause it was, you know, one of the funniest things they've seen. And, you know, I had no idea it would have blown up to what it, you know, became down there. Right. So how, how big did it
2: actually get? I mean, I know that you had to get like lava heat from the fans and, you know, just going from town to town uh, with that gimmick, you know, that had to have been something
1: that you hadn't have expected. How big did it really get out there? Uh, it was fantastic. We, yeah, my first match in Mexico, in Arena Mexico, was the Friday night uh, main event, which is, you know, a really cool spot. There's, oh, yeah. Not, there's, there's not too many Americans, you know, that get that spot in their first match. Um, yeah, a lot of the young cards, you know, they may never attain that status. So it was pretty special from day one. And the nice thing is, you know, my experience from traveling all over the world, uh, I, again, I, I kind of attribute it to being old school, if you will. I, I do a very classic style, you know, I'm not selfish. I don't want to do the coolest moves. I want to, you know, make the people the maddest so that when Atlantis gives me his finish, they come unglued. You know, that was my my idea. And honestly, that's basically what happened. A lot of the older stars like to work with me they were the ones that wanted to work with me because they knew i was safe they knew i would you know help them in their career you know make them look like a million bucks and i was just happy to be there so uh you know it kind of got a lot bigger than i expected it very quick because right after my debut and once really once the flag came into play is whenever you know i was getting flown all over mexico and you know doing these high profile main events in other cities
2: wow 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 yeah well you definitely had a uh a good run there, um, leading up to, I, I believe it was Shige Okamura, right? Yeah. That came, he returned to CMLL and, you know, j- much like in the vein of, uh, William Regal, you, you had a chance to get, you know, with him and actually t- tag team with him and, and get some experience with him. Right. Um, talk to me about that. And was that the portion of time where you actually got in touch with Ultimate Dragon to, to work for, uh,
3: what is that, Tor- Torium on
2: Mexico, uh, I
1: believe it is? It wasn't actually Akamura that hooked that up. Uh, no,
3: trust me. Akamura would have zero to do with, yeah. uh, with Ultimo Dragon.
1: Yeah. There's a lot okay. of
3: heat there, so...
1: This that, was, um, yeah, that's like having a
3: blood in a crypt uh Thanksgiving dinner, you know. What I mean, uh, after, <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, okay.
1: Uh, after the initial pop of, of you know, me coming out as this new foreign heel, you know, American supporter and all this, it started to die down a little bit. It was one of those things where, you know, it was funny, they ran with it, but now, you know, he's he's got to work here, he's got to do as we say. So I went down the mid the, to the mid card, and uh, I was still wrestling a lot, you know, three or four days a week and all over the country. And then I became real good friends with Archangel, which uh, who, who recently passed a few years ago, which is absolutely... Yes, hard.
3: that was sad as hell. Uh,
1: that's hard. But he actually told me, uh, he said, Hey, are you booked Sunday? And I said, No, why? What's up? He goes, uh, uh, Ultimo Dragon has a show. I want you to come. I want you to meet Ultimo Dragon. Uh, and I, I mean, honestly, Ultimo Dragon, when I was six years old, was my god. He was my favorite wrestler. I mean, everybody else in school was talking about, you know, Kevin Nash, Goldberg, and Stone Cold. I was talking about Ultima Dragon. Right. And, you know, there was no match. There was nothing on it. It was just come to the show, hang out, you know, see us, and and, uh, maybe we'll find something for you. So we went out and I started managing. I managed Ray Bucanero for the event. And I just came out to the ring with him with the flag and we garnered just immense heat. It was just a, a spectacle. It was a night. And, you know, Ultimo Dragon is a wrestling genius. You know, he can, he can close his eyes and book six years of TV if he has to. This guy basically saw what, what I was able to do, and, you know, he knew that there was something to be done there. And I think starting to work with Ultimo Dragon is what really gave me the, the credibility back with the CMLL office that I could, you know, remain on a main level as a main eventer.
3: Well, I Arc mean, uh, Archangel, uh, I guess being right the right time, he was running the locker room, you know, so being that he runs the locker room and he could pretty much um, book you on there, the fact that he had you on there is just, you know, it's awesome because, I mean, uh, the long list, and speaking now that I help uh, Ultima Dragon book and, and do Dragomania, the list of, of just not only people from around the the globe they want to be on dragomania but sam can attest to that the long list of locals who want to work on dragomania is pretty freaking big you know and these shows are private you know i mean Uh, not everyone can do them and there's no i mean you could have hulk hogan versus rick flair and you're going to draw the same because the way the show is run and produced you know it's it's uh it's a sponsor show almost like a sold show per se um, so, if you to get a, a, a look there and, what, show them, I guess, the heat magnet that you can really pull off, and especially with someone with, uh, with Ultima, who has such friendships, um, very close friendship uh, with CLMIL, because not many few not many promotions run shows um, at the Cathedral, you know what I mean? And he's one of the few ones that, you know, has a yearly, so I think... Uh, you were in good hands walking into Archangel and then uh, getting to work on these shows because I obviously continued for you, right? Working Dragomania, but from working Dragomania, did that that obviously opened doors for you um, to
1: work in Japan as well, right? Oh, exactly. He's the one that, that, uh, brought me to Japan for my first tour. But, you know, Ultimo dragon is so well respected everywhere he goes, just, you know, yeah. from, the, from the career he's had, you know, and, and some of his close friends, you know, have brought it to light to me that if you think about it, you know, he's one of the premier promoters in the world, you know, how many people other than Ultimo dragon have ran as many countries at a large capacity as he yeah. has, yeah. you know, so, so, you know, getting the stamp of approval from him, it's almost, you know, like, uh your ex-girlfriend sees you with a new girl, you know, (laughs) when, when CMLL saw that I was going to work with dragon and be, you know, his top heel, then all of a sudden that's when they decided to really turn it up. And that's when the the feud with blue Panther and Negro Casas began.
2: Well, talk to us about that. You know, those are, those are two good names in Mexico. You know, what was that like just kind of, you know, being able to be in programs with, with those kind of people and, and, you know, just your overall experience with, with, you know, Mexico transitioning to all Japan. Well, first of all, uh,
1: Blue Panther is the best wrestler I've ever been in the ring with. Wow. He's, wow. He's so seamless. I, I, I don't think, I mean, I've wrestled a lot of people in a lot of countries, and, you know, there's so, I've been in there with a lot of the best. Now, is he a better worker or better wrestler? I would say worker. I would say all in. The man, okay. the man can, when they say somebody can wrestle a broomstick, most of the matches we had, he wrestled himself and just put me in place. I mean, it was just unbelievable. I learned so much just watching him move. So, you know, that was cool. We had a lot of matches all over Mexico, and, and we just had some good heat. So one day I was told, hey, you have a meeting at the office on Tuesday. And I'm like, okay, um, <laughs> what's this going to be? What yeah. do I do? Am I, am I going home? You know, I was, I was scared, honestly, because I'd i been there. I'd been wrestling, you know, probably, I don't know, nine months, and I never spoke to Paco Alonso. He called me in the office, sat me down for 28 seconds and says, uh, okay, here's what we do. Um, you're going to beat Panther for his hair and then you lose your hair to Negro And I said, uh, okay. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. we Get out. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, I mean, basically that's what happened and I, I just couldn't believe it. And from then on i was featured i was really like you know i was in the angles i was on the tv i was pushed and and you know that match coming up was that was going to be the the you know the day that sam adonis is made in mexico and that's exactly what happened i mean the day after i beat blue panther for his hair people were shouting at me in the streets they were saying oh there's that gringo wrestler fuck you gringo you know i mean it was a big deal i mean that's that's the same as you know a, a local sports team in Pittsburgh or, you know, any city in the United States, they revere Lucha so highly down there that, you know, it made
3: me as an actual star. You know what, Sam, one thing I always tell people as a promoter, like when I fly in, whomever, right, you know, anyone from CLML, AAA, anyone from Lucha, I, I, it's hard to explain to people that, like when I had a Blue Panther, you know, booked or what have you, or Ultima Santo, whatever, when, you, when we're bringing those guys in, it's hard to explain to people here locally, whether it be my students or local talent and so on, the, the magnitude of the, of the star that we're bringing in because it's almost – I mean correct me if I'm wrong. But wouldn't it be that the equivalent of booking someone off WWE TV right now as booking someone off CML TV?
1: I would I would take it one step further and say that it's like booking somebody from the Yankees or, or booking somebody from the Twins. It, I, I think they're more they're they're more car- cultural icons than just wrestling icons. I mean, especially cause Blue, wow. the
3: Blue Panther. I mean, his when he lost his mask, that was a huge right. ordeal. Huge ordeal. Uh, I mean, we're talking about like you know people get buried with their uh, masks, and no one saw Blue Panther losing his mask. Sure. He's, you know, he's one of the most. I think. One of the most underrated legends, if that makes any freaking sense whatsoever, because the word legend gets thrown around very, you know, very easily. But when he lost his mask, I I was like, "Mm, what the hell are they doing? And then he loses his hair to you. It's like, God, like you must have been not only in the good graces of Paco, but brother, you got to you must admit that you must have rubbed some people the right way to give you that rub two times. Against two great legends, which is Blue Panther and then Negro Casas, it, it just yeah you
2: say you say two times that's actually right because losing in your mask and losing your hair in Mexico is a huge ordeal, right?
1: Yeah, it, it's just it was instant validation, and I get again I wouldn't be able to tell you what I did right or what I did wrong, you know, other than just trying to live your life by being a good person, you know. And I think at the end of the day, they knew I respected the game, you know. They knew that I paid attention. They knew I knew who they were, you know, because they have had plenty of foreigners in and out of the door and you know you can't tell me strongman has watched as much lucha as i have look
3: know? hey 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 we trained <laughs> strongman so strongman was taught exactly what they wanted me to teach them exactly. and i taught them what they wanted to do the problem with strongman is that you know there was no problem with strongman i think what they were trying to do with strongman is kind of like what they did with you is uh when i had shocker here you know i was trying to uh, get get him a spot and shocker was uh it, it just had happened when, um, uh, there was a jump of all the boys who went to AAA and they made a degeneration MX and Rocky and Alex Kozloff and all those guys had left. And, uh, they were sour on Americans, man. They sure. didn't want no Americans there at all. So when I was telling, uh, shocker, he's look, brother, you and I are tight. We're cool. But the boss, he doesn't want no Americans, man. He's pissed. He got fucked over by these guys. And I was like, look, man, that has nothing to do with me. I said, but trust me, this guy I'm going to show you is nothing you guys have seen before. And lo and behold, the moment Shocker saw him, he walked away, called Paco. That night, we had a flight for him to, uh, not even the tryout. He had a flight to go be part of uh, the gimmick. And that's because they just wanted something so bad American. Because as you know, that, that international American uh, is something that CML uh, likes to do. Um, and attracts good heat. But but Strongman was not cut out for Lucha. I mean, <clears throat> you, what made it, I think what makes you, what made you there uh, work really well with them, brother, is the fact that working in Europe, you learn how to wrestle. And a lot of people don't understand that Lucha is a lot of razelona, a lot of fucking grappling. Sure. And when these American, when these Mexican guys found a guy that can work on the ground and work with them and make them take less. Bumps and still get over, of course, you were you were perfect for them because Strongman was not going to grapple with you. He was just going to punch you in the face. And sure. if he pulled back, he pulled back. If he didn't, well, then you took it. And with you, you actually were a wrestler. And I think that's what people always mistake about Lucha. Oh, they don't bump. They don't this. And I think when you came in with the a lot of the European under you with the training and a lot of the old school mentality that you've gone through, I think you went in there with a whole new respect to the business and the fact that you could wrestle, let them know that if we keep this kid around, it's going to make our jobs easier and we all draw money. And I think that's a, a huge credit to to your father, to your brother, and then to all the people who worked
1: with you in Europe because that's, that's exactly what you did. Well, I, I can't agree with you more, and it's one of those things that I think in the long run – I might have even cost myself some money, you know, because I've, I've cared more about the wrestling business than I've cared about myself. You know, now we're in an age where it's all about going viral and doing the coolest high spots and being seen, you know, I've, I've read the, american lucha message boards where people are saying <laughs> what the hell is sam adonis doing there oh god this guy sucks you know and right and meanwhile you know the bosses are, are telling me how great of a job i'm doing you know negro Casas is telling me do less do less you know just yeah. be mean punch and kick, no high spots you know so uh, i listened i learned and and at the end of the day you know i, I basically in my opinion I think it's almost harder to to climb that hill than it is to, you know, climb a WWE hill or a ring of honor hill or something. It's very difficult. It's very specific, you know, to be a, a main event guy as a foreigner in CMLL, and most of the time when it happens, it kind of happens by accident. Oh yeah, bring this guy in. You know, oh, he's good. Yeah, he'll work. I'm right. you know, I'm a one in a million that actually, you know, set that as a goal and was able to accomplish it. And, and I'm so proud of my time there. And, you know, I learned so much working with those guys and, you know, hopefully one day it'll work out that I can go back. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think at any point in time, any of the doors that were open had to do
3: with your brother being in WWE?
1: I don't think so. I, I think, uh, I actually love Mexico because it's the only place on Earth where Corey Graves is Sam Adonis' brother, <laughs> and not
2: Sam Adonis uh, is Corey Graves' brother. Uh, uh, well, let, let's let's talk a little bit about that. And the, the only re- the only reason why I want to talk about that because I know that you don't want. To associate with your brother, not in the sense that he's—you know—you want to be his family, obviously. But uh, we had an interview with Jungle Boy uh, Jack Perry um, a few episodes back, and and he talked about how you know he wanted to make it on his own merit, on on his own work ethic, and he did not want to be associated with any of the fame that came with his father, Luke Perry. So I, I know that that's something that you held you know close to your heart. Talk to me a little bit about. You know, any type of frustrations or any type of things that might have come about from people knowing that your brother was who he was and what platform he was working on um, and, you know, how hard you work to try to just stay away
1: from that whole thing. I, I mean, honestly, it hasn't really affected me that much because to this day, there's a, the vast majority of the people that know me have no idea that he's my brother. You know, it really, I've been able to, you know, make enough noise on my own that people don't draw that comparison. Uh, there's a lot of people now that are saying, you know, oh, why aren't you in WWE? You can't your brother just get me, a, get you a job. And that's the opposite of what I want. You know, that I've been able to do everything I've done without his help. You know, I don't ever want my legacy to be, oh, he's only there because of his brother. So, you know,
3: well, think about this way. What what would be so wrong that if your brother did get you the look it's, you know, it's always been said it's, it's easy to get there. It's even harder to stay. So what would be so wrong if Corey said, all right, brother, I, I got you, uh, I got you a spot doing X, Y, and Z. The rest is up to you.
1: What would be so wrong with that? There would be nothing wrong with that. And if he decided to do it on his own merits, I would have no, you know no objection, but I'm never going to ask him for it. You know, I never push forward for it because you know, everything I've done, I've done on my own and I'm very proud of that. You know, I've I've been able to get by without him and you know, I I love my brother. I'm proud of him. I think it's great that he's doing what he's doing, but you know, our careers are completely different paths, you know, in a a capacity. It's funny. Like I said, I brought up Tom Pritchard the other day. Uh, We went out to breakfast and I said to him that, you know, my brother's path and his brother's path are, you know, virtually similar. You know, I'm the I'm the Tom Pritchard. I'm the workhorse that goes around and, you know, just bust his ass and then, you know, <laughs> may not be famous, but I'm working and Bruce Pritchard's in the office making a million dollars. You know, right now, that's what seems to be happening with my brother and, and myself. But, you know, I, I'm. I love professional wrestling. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sick with it. It's all I've ever known. It's all I've ever wanted. And I'm doing exactly what I want to do. You know, I, I still think my best days are to come. I still think that, you know, I probably will have a future in a, in a major promotion. But right. I, I don't, I think it's, you know, considering what I've already accomplished, I think it's more than likely going to happen, you know, based on my hard work and what I put in as opposed to, you know, getting a handout.
2: Man, bro, that's that's admirable. You definitely have every right to be proud of that, man. I I I like that story, and you know, just like I like you know Jack's story, it's pretty much the same thing. And um, I you know, don't know. I don't
3: know. I I I, yeah. I disagree. I I I don't see nothing How wrong so, because why would you not want everybody in this world needs help. And now it's it's not like you're in WWE because your brother and you're sitting getting a paycheck, you know, hanging out at home. Um, I, I don't see anything wrong with op- with somebody opening the door for you or a little crack of the window, because I mean, once you get somewhere, it's up to you to stay there. You know what I mean? It's like anyone can get you. Yeah, j- anyone can get you a job? If you get somewhere, you got to right. know someone to get somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I, but, because but, think but, about it, the, what what opened this door for you, brother, was you getting uh, you picking up um, Regal. Right. And that all happened because someone sent you to go pick up Regal and you took advantage of a situation and made it work for you. I myself don't see nothing wrong with someone going, here's an opportunity, go for it and, and you do it. Now, of course, if this person's pulling strings for you not to get fired because you're not really good at it or whatever, then yeah, I don't I think that'd go against all your merits that you've set for yourself. But if you got an opportunity because he wanted to help you out or you asked for one. I don't see nothing wrong with that. I think everyone in this world needs
1: help at one point or another. Sure. And I, and I don't see anything wrong with it either. I just am not going to be the one to push the issue. I'm not going to ask for the the help. You know, I'm proud of what I'm doing. And if, if it came, you know, I, I think I'm at the point now in life where, you know, I'm 30 years old and I'm just now realizing that, you know, I'm feeling good. I I think I'm, you know, a pretty damn good at this. Whereas, you know, when I was there, I wasn't, I was a kid. I wasn't ready to be there, you know? So, uh, I think it's something, if it happened, it happened, and, and I'd make the most of it. But, you know, uh, I would never expect it. I'd never ask for it. And and uh, I don't know. I think I can do it, you know, without that. Because you know as well as I do, the wrestling's a very small business. Yes. And, you know, they, they know what's going on. They yeah. know it It could be a game of cat and mouse for all I know. You know, they might be waiting for me to call, and I might be waiting for them to call. And who knows? But, uh, you know, I, I'm just happy doing what I'm doing and, and making the most of, uh you know, the freedom while I have it. Yeah,
2: I would say I would say that there there's a clear difference in my mind in and in, in, in you know taking you know I don't want to say a handout but like an opportunity we will say from like say a a professional wrestler like William Regal who has a a wealth of knowledge and experience that can get you places that you you know, will be able to uh, further your career versus your brother. I mean, and that and that's really what it is. I mean, despite what your brother does and is um, as far as WWE is concerned, he's still your brother and, and you grew up with him and he was always looking out for you and always k- taking you under his wing and always being, you know, that guy that's just going to be your protector. And there's got to be some kind of, I don't want that anymore. That caused you to not, you know, talk to him about any type of, of, uh, of, of opportunity, so that's what I meant by admirable, you know? Um, Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about all Japan pro wrestling, man. I don't think we we've delved into that too much. Um, You know, you you got a chance to work with Ultimo, and you know that was that the 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 opportunity that sent you to all Japan. So um, talk talk to
1: us a little bit about that and your experience there. Honestly, my my uh, one of the major reasons why I went to Mexico was to get to Japan. Ultimately, Uh, that's something that I've just wanted since I was a kid. I was a you know a huge Japanese wrestling fan. You know, to this day I'd say. Kenta Kobashi is probably my favorite wrestler, but I've always wanted it. And, uh, getting to Mexico, I knew, you know, it's just a different way. It's a different Avenue for an American to get into Japan. Now, you know, there's so many companies in Japan that are, you know, using guys that fly themselves over and, you know, they're, they're, the prestige of working in Japan has been lost because, you know, know, it's (laughs) almost, it's almost a pay to play sometimes. And, I had been rejected multiple times and just, you know, couldn't get there. So I thought Mexico would be the, the way to make it happen. So working with all, uh, with Ultimo dragon, he had his, uh, Ultimo dragon fiesta coming up, which was a, a four show tour. Lucha a, fiesta, a lucha fiesta. And it was right around the time that, uh, that all Japan ran their last, uh, sumo hall show. Yes. So he actually, uh, came to me and said, Hey, would you be interested in going to Japan? You know, uh, here's what we can give you, and I jumped at it. I couldn't have been more happy. And my first event in in Japan uh, was at Lucha Fiesta Corken Hall. It was myself, Joe Doring, and uh, Diamante against Caristico, um Nakayama, and Ultimo Dragon in the main event. And wow. at that point, I was like, "Oh my God, I made it! This is everything, <laughs> I've, everything I ever Canical. wanted."
3: Now, when you were in CML, did you get um, much work with uh, with some of those guys because obviously a lot of CMIL influence was on that, and being that CMIL has a str- a I don't know uh, indirect relationship with New Japan Pro Wrestling, that always you know blew my mind that you would see guys like that on a Lucha Fiesta that even though it wasn't all Japan, it kind of was all Japan. Was there any ever? talk about that because eventually that did come into play and a lot of that talent got removed from those shows but was there any of that the discussion when you guys were there
1: yeah concerns yeah. towards that well at the time uh, mystico or caristico had a very very uh, special contract with cmll he was virtually an independent that could uh, confirm his dates with cmll it right. was he could do anything other than triple A, I think it was.
3: Yeah, as long as, as long as he gave them the dates in advance and they said okay, he can do whatever he wanted.
1: Yeah. So so he was uh he was there for that one. Uh Diamante at the time, he hadn't worked on a a C M L O show in months. He was, you know, c m l o they like to have their guys kinda on reserve. Sometimes you you know, you do a big feud and a blow off and then you take some time off, you know. So uh We went over there. I'd worked with Caristico a lot in Mexico. You know, we were friends, but just being there on that big stage in Japan, you know, knowing it was it was different. You know, you kind of wanted to put your best foot forward. But the funny thing about it was I, I could not believe how many people knew me from CMLL. You know, there was such a huge presence of CMLL and Lucha Libre in Japan that, you know, that Lucha Fiesta show, It wasn't just like, oh, yeah, and and the American. It was, you know, (laughs) we have – it was basically built as, you know, four Mexican superstars, you know, if you include Ultimo Dragon. Right.
3: Now, with that being said, um, that was uh, the year before you did Lucha Fiesta again, I might believe. But you did also Lucha Fiesta with Ultimo Panda. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that was the following year.
3: That was the following year. So that's the that's the year where Go and those guys were not allowed um, to yeah. do Lucha Fiesta because of New Japan, right? And that 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 was really strange. I, I really was taken by by that. So what was the difference from that year to the following year? Because I know that was uh, Ultimo Panda or Vinnie's uh, first time in uh, in Japan, and I know he was. I told him, hey, stay close to Sam, and then. Uh, And he tells me later, No, no, Sam Sam's always out with somebody. I'm just staying in the hotel room.
1: (laughs) Vinny is one
3: of my favorite people on earth.
2: Facts, man. He's one of my favorite. He's like, on earth
3: too. I go, brother. Where's? How come you don't stay close to Sam? He goes, I try, brother, but every time we go somewhere, he always wants to go out somewhere. I go, yeah, yeah, that's Sam. He goes, no, trust me, he's really out all the time. <laughs> you know, so it's obvious you have a lot of good friendships in and outside the ring, which definitely helps you. But uh, I'm kind of curious, what was the reaction, you know, locker room wise and fan wise to not seeing the same. uh Lucha talent from weird one year to the next.
1: This this second tour almost just felt a little smaller. Um it, super crazy would have been the, the big star. Diamante was on it again. Um right. and then they were using a, a gimmick that uh, Ultimo Dragon created in Mexico, Mr. Pachuca, and they would put a uh, put Akiyama. all Japan guys. Yeah. Yeah. They put all Japan guys in it. And it, it felt a little smaller. The house was a little smaller um it, it was a little bit different uh i think you know ultimo dragon has so many personal sponsors that you know he just has these things come up and he agrees to them. i, I don't know why it was different i don't know if he wanted bigger stars if it was just something to do for a sponsor or whatever it, it was a little bit uh i would say at the end of the day it felt more like an all japan show than it did the ultimo
3: dragon show like it was the year before, the year before. no I, I think you're absolutely right because um he had come to me and told me because uh, we had um, he had asked me to help him book talent. And uh, I guess it's OK to say it now. It doesn't matter now um, <laughs> for that Dragomania show. The year um, uh, leading up to the Dragomania uh, leading to the Lucha Fiesta, that Ultima Panda was on. I had booked um, Phoenix and Penta to wrestle at Dragomania while they were still working in Triple A oh okay and so i had that set and so i tried to make that work and we had it set i i they eventually you know asai he he worked it and you know you know how that goes he, he he if just anyone knows if you ever go and talk money with ultimate dragon it will only be with ultimate dragon you know he it, it he will negotiate all his deals and it, it, it came you know it came to fruitation so we had it set and I don't want to go deeper. We had the biggest main event that was ever going to hit Arena Mexico since fucking sliced bread. I mean, the sliced tortillas. And boom, they got signed to do CML shows as well, which eventually you know went away. But they were running both. Remember, that's for a small period of time. Right. And that's when uh, not only did we lose them for Dragomania, we also lost them to use stuff in Dragomania. And yeah. also to do uh, uh, the, Lucha, the Lucha shows in, in Japan. And so it, it was kind of rough because it's not that he didn't try. It's that hands were tied. You know sure. what I mean? And, when, you know, when you work CML shows for the majority out of loyalty to CML, right? And then now you can't use CML talent yeah, yeah. because for obvious reasons. It it was a, a situation where Asai was like, what do I do? um you know so no i i totally get you but i was real, always curious to see what the feeling was because you're absolutely right when they were prior to that it was caristico his brother it was really really you know really packed it was good stuff following year not saying that anybody that went wasn't worth it it was just a, a different show together sure so, sure. you know but- and how, how's the reaction for you being the american because being just less lucha means you have a little bit less heat. Obviously, you got to work with Asai, but if it wasn't for Asai, uh, how would that have worked out for you?
1: Um, I still think it would have been the same situation because it's a lot of the same fans that come for the Mexican wrestling. Uh, I was still in CMLL at the time, so I was still, uh, that was right before, that was insane, that tour. I ended up coming home and having to do uh, you know, seven weeks or seven days straight working before pay per view. So, I mean, I was still in the fold of it and people still respected the fact that I had uh, New Japan tie or all um, CMLL ties. But right. at the end of the day, I always had my freedom because I was never going to go to New Japan for the Fantastical Mania because New Japan has their Gaijin contract with Ring of Honor. Well, in advance, so, absolutely. So, yes. because because I'm a, a white guy, I was basically, you know, just just <laughs> not considered. But and, and is, that, isn't that a mess, though? Because think about it. Uh,
3: to do Fantastic Mania, it's huge, man. Like the, These events are huge. But the talent they use, sometimes they were taking guys they would e- never even use on their own shows. But yet, here they are in Japan, which is a huge honor, which goes back to a situation where working in Japan um, used to be a huge ordeal. And now it's kind of like, a, oh, yeah, yeah, I went to Japan, you know. It it it, it kind of
1: has lost its luster, don't you think? Sure, but but a lot of that comes down, you know, from my experience. I think a lot of that was a, a bit of a. You know politics in the in the dressing room, and you know who played. There's no
3: politics. Who played the game? Oh yeah, you know it it all
1: came down. Anytime you know some of the best wrestlers in Mexico were not going on those fantastic Mania tours, and some of the young guys that never work were. You know there was a lot of things going on there. Uh, I didn't know enough about it, but you know I had my clearance to go to All Japan, and then that was the tour where Ultimo Dragon actually introduced me to the the boss of All Japan, and Uh you know we had our discussion about you know me touring with all japan as separately you know not with uh, the lucha shows and you know that blossomed is something very good for me so now
3: don't you think that's similar to you saying you don't wouldn't want your brother to help you out with wwe uh
1: yeah yes it's probably it's the same it's, the same it's thing. exactly the same it's thing, the same
3: yeah. thing because if you're hanging out with your brother and you happen to run into someone from the office hey this is uh this is my brother blah 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 blah, blah he's a worker too. You know, he's a really good guy. I man. if you were looking for X, Y, and Z, I recommend him. Hey, we'll have him come down, you know, to, to so-and-so and so-and-so. It's the same thing.
1: Sure, sure. You're absolutely correct. I just don't think it was, you know, it's at that point in time, that's what I wanted. You know, I was, I was yeah. willing to, willing to ask for the help, you know, and at the end of the day, Ultimo Dragon is not my brother. He's, you know, he's, he's, a, <laughs> right. you know, he's somebody that, right. that can help me. And he, I look at him, you know, like a, a, a teacher, you know, I've learned so much from him and I would call him a friend, but, uh you know he he helped me out so much but that's what i wanted at the time i think with wwe you know i signed my contract a full year before my brother got there you know i know exactly what to expect and and i know that my quality of life wasn't exactly what i wanted at that point you know and and uh i i don't know if that's what i want in the future were you you and your brother ever together at the same time there no he got hired three days before i got released ah
3: wow three days so when he told you that he got signed, you still had no idea that you were getting released, right? Right. Not
1: until Friday. So, so it was a, it take, was me,
3: take me through your mind thinking, holy shit, my brother, my bro, we're going to be together. We're going to kill it. We're going to have a blast. I'm going to have my roommate. You know, I'm not going to be lonely no more. I'm going to have my brother
1: here. Everything gonna be great. And then boom. That's exactly right. I well, thought it would be the the answer to all my prayers. I thought it'd be the new beginning, if you will, because, I, you know, whether we went tag teams or, or, you know, just having him there as a guide or, you know, as a guide, there could have been so many different outcomes. But we never had that opportunity. That's rough. Yeah, that
2: that's is rough. rough, man. I mean, because he's your brother. No, you, 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 you want to be around your brother, you know, especially. I mean, nine times out of ten, a lot of brothers that are, you know, close in age or, or maybe even, you know, uh, always around
3: each other yeah but, but training, not only so. that though this is his trainer you know and and you know those imagine going somewhere feeling lost and now your trainers are with you sure to, to help you with it i mean your trainer your brother family blood i mean ah uh, that's that's rough uh, that's i didn't i did not know that and that and that's rough and that shows a lot about you too sam that you know that take a huge blow like that and just take take it in stride because in this business yeah. unfortunately that's all we really have is just a fucking tuck your chin and
1: keep going well see i'm, I'm big into the uh, like the motivational speaking and positive thinking and whatnot and like that that's something that I, i've taught myself over the years because i've you know, you know exactly how it is. The wrestling business is 10 times harder than any other form of entertainment. You know, yeah. you get stabbed in the back. It's, it's shady, but you know, there's never been a day in my life where I didn't know that I'm going to be one of the biggest wrestling stars on the planet. You know, I've never wanted anything. I've told myself, I will do something. You know, there's no time frame on that, whether it's, you know, a year from now, or it's five years from now, when you tell yourself you want something, you're giving yourself the option not to have it, you know, but when you say you'll have something, no matter when you will get it, and that's just what I've always looked at. You know, that's what's kept me going all yeah. these years. And like I said, I look at the, the, what I've accomplished. I've basically done everything I've wanted to do, not just in wrestling, but in life. You know, I've accomplished so much and seen the world. And, and I'm fluent in Spanish, which in my opinion is just ridiculous. But, you know, it's, it's something that I believe in myself. And I'd love to have the opportunity to, you know, take it to the next level. And I still think it will happen, you know, one day. Well, but, what, do you con- but what do you consider the next level? I'd just be, you know, making a lot more money than I'm making, you know, on a full-time level. I'd love to be... But is that, is that, is that a, a,
2: a platform on
1: the American stage? Sure. Or is it... Yeah, it could be you know, it could be something you know nobody knows it. I want to be Hulk Hogan, man. I want to be the biggest damn wrestling star in history. That's what I want, <laughs> that, You know, I think if you don't have that mentality, you you're doing something wrong. Yeah. You know, but at the same yeah. time there's nothing stopping me. You know, I'm 30 years old. I've already done a lot and I have a lot more to give. So, uh, you know, I, I think I'm in the right spot and I just hope this COVID, you know, disappears Sam, soon. And that's and things get That's back a normal. great
2: that's a great segue, man. I I definitely feel like you were on a on a stride there. You know, you were steamrolling down your path to greatness and 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 much like all of us, we got we hit a roadblock. And you talk about positive thinking, you talk about, you know, you know, your positive speaking and, and what have you. You know, what what have you been doing to stay positive during this pandemic? Because a lot of stuff just shut down. And we we've had discussions about me and Gabe have this have had discussions about these no crowd, you know, shows that are still on TV and things like that. You know, what what are you doing to stay relevant? What are you doing to stay
1: sane? And just, you know, in hopes that we're going to get back to this sooner than later. I don't know if I'm really doing anything to stay relevant because we're all kind of at a standstill. You know, nobody can blame me for not being relevant when there's no competition and there's there's nothing to, you know, be relevant to. But uh, I actually started working for Amazon. I'm a driver right now temporarily until, you know, I can start making money wrestling once again. But, uh, you know, I just wake up one day at a time and take it as it comes. You know, there's not much we can do. Uh, it, it's one of those situations where... You know, everybody's in the same spot. It's not like other people are doing things that I'm not doing. you know, I'm doing what I can to make a living through this. And it does it's it's really upsetting because like I like you said, you know, I feel like I was at a, a very good you know busy international level before all this. you know, but at right. the same time, it's not gonna stop me, you know, because uh, wrestling fans are loyal. You know, people are loyal. It's something that, when the time's right, there's going to be a market for it. And at the end of the day, you know, there's so many changes in in the world and in wrestling right now. There's no option. There's no give up. You know, there's nothing. There's nothing ever going to stop me from you know putting on a pair of boots and doing what I do. You know, uh, it's I don't know. I just keep a positive outlook, and I know whether I'm whether. I become the biggest star in pro wrestling, or whether I'm just you know an Amazon driver that wrestles on the weekends. This is my blood. This is what I do. This is what I love, and I would never give it either up. Way, I, I never switch. Either way, you're going to make it work. Yeah, yeah. Well, for sure. What are what, what
3: are your thoughts on wrestling and empty arenas, and what are your thoughts of of doing shows right now when it is obvious that the United States is doing the worst and has done the worst job? Of, of maintaining you know uh, its safety or its numbers down I mean we're talking about Japan never had a shutdown had I think total of 900 deaths I think New Zealand had zero uh, Vietnam had zero United States has like 400,000 or what have you what what are your thoughts on the fact that some of us are doing shows for the sake because We need to do shows and we can't be patient for the sake that people always use, you know, well, it's a free country and I have right to do what I want to do. And that's what's potentially causing these
1: issues. I mean, mean, I think a lot of it just comes down to, you know, a lack of patience and it's, it's something it's very hard to do without, you know, this is something that when it's, when you do it, it becomes a part of you. It's, it's in your blood, you know, and we just have to have our our fix of it, if you will. Um, you know, that all you can do is take the best precautions you can, you know, but clearly sometimes there's going to be things beyond your control. Uh, but I mean, it's just like anything, when there's a, a demand for something, there's gotta be a supply, you know, and sometimes, you know, I wouldn't do it. I don't have the capabilities right now to promote a show here in Pittsburgh. You know, I, I do run my own shows. I, it's too difficult right now. I wouldn't want to do it. I wouldn't want to put people at risk. Right, but, but aren't you working elsewhere? Yeah, tomorrow I'm flying. You know, I'm flying out tomorrow. So, and, uh,
3: so that's my question. So, why would it not be okay for you
1: to do Pittsburgh, but it's okay for you to do Salt Lake City? Just, just for the simple fact that I wouldn't put other people in danger. I'd put myself in danger. But you know, what's going on in Salt Lake that's different than Pittsburgh? Just money. It's just, it's, it's, a- yeah.
3: And that's what I'm saying. I, I, I think everyone has a right to make money, but at whose, at whose who's cost? You know, what I mean, why can't, it's just my opinion. I'm not coming down on you. Is why can't we just wait? Like, why can't everyone just wait and, and we could wait? If we would have maybe just done what we're asked and put on masks and wash our hands and wash our ass and stay home. Is there a chance we can all be back to normal now, four months later, as opposed to now four months, we're going backwards and potentially doing another four to five, six months till a vaccine comes out? Like, why is there such a need? Like, it's not asking you, but if you don't have to answer if you don't want to. But why not say no and say, hey, uh, no, I appreciate the booking, but uh, I, uh, I recommend that, you know, maybe you don't do the show, but I'm going to pass right now for the safety of myself and whoever I'm in contact with.
1: Uh, it's just—it's for my situation. It's merely financial, man. It's just something that's—it's you know what I do. It's how I make my money. And if if someone you know, if I was a plumber and they, somebody needed me to you know put pipe in their backyard, I'd probably just do what I can to stay safe and get that pipe in there.
3: And even if they told you, but when you go fix that pipe, there's a—it's a good chance that you might die from it. You still do it? I don't know, man. That's then. That, that's that's the thing is that that's the same thing you people are doing with this COVID. Just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's happening, and 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 I I I strongly disagree because we could the the rest of the world's laughing at us. The rest of the I mean uh, I, I talked to Ultimo, he's in Japan and they're wrestling now. You know, four months later, you know they never had a shutdown. They always wore masks. They respected the cause. They respected what their country asked. They're back to normal and they're wrestling. And yet here we have to have. Silly ass shows with a ring in the middle of a fucking uh, field with you know, lawn chairs and stuff. Are, are we are we helping the business or are we just uh, taking it a step backwards and us being part of the problem as opposed to leading part of the solution? Um, I, wow. For me, I, I get the money part, brother. I definitely do, but I think there's a bigger scenario here when. it – When we're all at risk, you going on the plane, uh, not knowing who's on that plane. It's kind of like when, you know, AIDS was going on. Right. And the big, the the safest way not to get AIDS was what?
1: Don't have sex. Celibacy, Sure. Yeah.
3: So why, why now? What's the difference now? Because it's easier to get COVID now than it is to to get AIDS. Because all the, you know what? Just don't have sex. I won't get AIDS. No problem. Don't share needles, man. We're good. Now you can just walk by minding your own business. You can go home, get COVID and pass it to everyone you love by doing nothing so why go that extra rate
1: i don't know man didn't think of it that far so
3: <laughs> well th- it's like yeah hey man
2: you gotta you know? do what you gotta do right to make money i guess but um hey, S- sam we're we're you and i talked before we're getting close to the time um I-, I wanted to switch gears a little bit because i like to ask this question to a lot of the people that uh, are on the show um, there's a lot of listeners here that are aspiring to be wrestlers, or maybe they are wrestlers, or maybe they are managers, or what have you. They they want to get to the next level, whatever their le- next level is. And even more so for the listeners that are even thinking, maybe I should once we get back from this, you know, if I if I get to a school like Pro Wrestling Revolution Training Academy, selfish plug. Um, uh, what would you say? What would you say? Your advice would be to these guys who are listening and gals that um, are aspiring to to be something in our
1: business? I just It's the most cliche answer I could give, and and it's what you'll hear from everybody else, is be different. Uh, Right now, we're in a situation where everybody is following suit and just trying to be the next viral wrestling superstar. You know, there's people now that come out and and because you can do cool flips, you know, you get viral and you get booked on big shows before you're ready. You know, all I can say is look to the past. I would say, uh, you know, find things that are, are... old that worked and make them yours make them new again uh i don't think there's a long shelf life for a lot of the uh you know the dangerous style out there uh i'm a big fan of 80s wrestling whether it be memphis or florida style you know where these guys absolutely really really uh you know perfected the art of taking care of each other and doing you know telling a story and and slowing it down because you know at the end of the day you want to sell as many tickets as possible and I always say that you know anybody can can wrestle a match that entertains wrestling fans, but how many wrestlers can wrestle a match that entertains somebody that doesn't like wrestling? That's wow, the, the casual fan. That's fans. the key. not even not, not even a casual fan. Get that out of your head. Get. I'm talking okay. about the guy that comes to the show with his son under protest and hates pro wrestling and thinks it's stupid. How do you get that guy to enjoy your performance? that's what it's all about you know quit doing all the crazy street fighter moves and just you know more is more i I mean you'll hear it from all the biggest stars in the history and you know uh, less is more you know you 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 get them in with your personality wrestling's never been about the moves it's not been about you know the coolest the finishing move it's always been about the person doing the move you know now
3: but what's that happy medium sam because obviously um, there's no way we can stay in the same And I, I, just so you know I agree with you but we do have to evolve the business we do have to evolve obviously from the 60s to the 70s and 80s till now it's evolved how do you maintain that happy medium use
1: a they- 450 as a finisher <laughs> there not, you go. not the opener not-, <laughs> not the opener well that's the thing that's a happy medium you know because I've been able to, to you know do just that because you know I work in a lot of high profile independent companies that do have their inter- internet presence you know and I wrestle I get them down on the ground and I do holds and whatnot. but you know the happy medium is instead of doing an atomic drop like they would have done in 1986 maybe throw in your cool move there Yeah, you know maybe uh, you know do your your cool finisher or whatever you you gotta do what you can to end
3: of the day make the shit count and have a reason for it you know what I mean yeah exactly I think you're absolutely right and I think your mentality um, is just just solidifies what I was saying on why you worked so well and see on my album with those guys, brother. Because your style was exactly what they needed. You were a young guy, big guy, good looking guy. You have some, you know, good body, stature, and now you're making them look like a million bucks. You added more life, you know, to their, you know, bump card and their, uh, and their, you know, their, their, their wrestling, you know, uh, life. And I think that's why you were a huge hit with them. And I think eventually when this shit goes back, I think
1: that's why you'll be able to continue to what you do at a, at a large scale. Well, I think it's something that, you know, it comes down to relating to the people that are watching your product as well. Most people, you know, can't understand. They don't know what those moves feel like, but they can see who's a bad guy. They can see who's a good guy. They can yeah. see, you know, what this guy's whole deal is. Oh, he's a he's a cowboy. He's a, you know, he's a plumber, whatever it is. You got to be able to relate to people. And that's what I say about, uh, you know, The the one thing people ask me about all the time is you know how I change in different countries, and my answer to that is you stay exactly the same.
3: Yeah, I was going to say I don't think you've changed who you are. When I've seen you work um, from you know all Japan to to whatever, until I saw you work in person, and you know when we you know did Arena Mexico together, I don't think you've changed. I think you've maintained who you are, and I think it's it's worked
1: for you quite well. Well, it, it's something that, you know, uh, the American style has basically disappeared. There used yeah. to be there used to be American style, European style, Japanese style, Mexican style. Now there's no American style. <laughs> hybrid. We, we call you know, <laughs> it hybrid. Yeah. It's called indie style. And this is what everybody wants to do because it's a little bit of everything. Whereas the reason I was able to get a, you know, a decent job working for All Japan Pro Wrestling is because I was the only guy doing American style pro wrestling. You know, so just stick to your guns. There's, trust me, if you're a young wrestler, you know, a young American wrestler that, that wants to wrestle in Mexico, you are not going to out-lucha a luchador. Yep. You're You're not going to out-strong style a strong style wrestler. Be yourself, get as good as you can, and, you know, believe in yourself. And that's what it all comes out to.
3: Can you imagine walking in and saying, all right, Negro Navarro, you and I, one-on-one, we're going we're gonna to wrestle right now to say who's <laughs> <Yeah>. the best.
1: <laughs> exactly. It, it doesn't work like that.
3: Yeah. Well, well, well.
2: Man, Sam, you know, I was a fan of you at the beginning of this, and I'm a bigger fan now, man. Thank you for coming on the show. But this is part – this is Gabe's least favorite part of the show.
3: Well, it's, I'll, it, be, I'll be off with you. I wasn't a fan of Sam when we started, and I'm still not a fan of Sam. Here we go. <laughs> you know I mean? Here we go. Because I tell Sam, you I, – I no, no, I'll tell you what. Ahead, what you don't know. Go ahead, go ahead. Don't ever go to a barbecue with Sam because, like, he'll take all the beers he won't share. You know, he eats all the meat he doesn't share. You know what I mean? Uh, he was like the worst possible friend at at Altimo's private barbecue the day after Dragomania. You know what I mean? Um, oh. Just putting it out there, Here sand, comes the heat. You know? <laughs> here, comes the, here comes the heat.
1: Guilty you know, as charged yeah, is all I can I, say.
3: I, I tell you what, though. Um, uh, when, I first, uh, when I first met Sam um, in person, was really odd because obviously before going to meeting Sam, there was huge issues with who stole the gimmick, who stole this, who stole that, and I was even aware of that and people bringing into it, bring bringing me into it up until uh, Sam's brother brought me into it after a show when we had uh, Ricker who was ejo the Trump, and then his brother says, "Oh, after you stole my brother's thing," and then it just blew up, and I'm like, "Oh, what the hell?" and who stole what? So all of a sudden it was like here, I, and then um, I and then I met him in the locker room and he came in and I could honestly tell that. He didn't give a shit about any gimmick. He just worried about getting himself over, making sure everyone was safe, and you know, good guy. And then, uh, but still, you know, he still doesn't know who I am or anyone is. But then when we got to hang out uh, at uh, Asai's home for that for that uh, kayfabe uh, barbecue, I tell you what, man, you're a really fucking cool guy. Uh, you have a good head on your shoulders. I enjoy what you do. I enjoy you and agree. Even though I hate to admit it, but you and I agree on a lot of stuff. We both talked about that. I don't know if it was the beer talking, but we definitely agree on a lot of stuff. And I hope nothing but the best for you. And once yeah. this shit you know, comes out of it, bro, uh, my offer still stands. I'd love to have you come on board and uh, jump on this ship and then see where we can go with it. Uh, I
1: appreciate that. I always have the most fun with you guys every time. I never, I don't think I've ever seen you in your hometown. It's always been some other country or state. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> it's always been somewhere else, right? Either way, uh, uh, I appreciate you guys having me on here. Anybody who wants to check me out, I'm only on Instagram. It's Real Sam Adonis. I deleted Twitter because it's far too toxic, and I think <laughs> people... <laughs> people people need to step away from their phones a little bit because the world we live in is a good place full of good people. And, you know, if that could happen yeah. a little bit more, we wouldn't hate each other so bad. So, That's true. Uh,
2: All right, right. Yeah. All right. Well, you heard the social media. He blew the spot. That's okay. It's fine. Uh, it's typical uh, Sam. He it's, it's it's tipi- blu- yeah, he blew the spot. That's all right, Gabe. <laughs> Before we go, we, we need to get your socials as well.
3: Please at all costs at PW Revo- PW Revolution. And if you guys don't mind, wear a mask. And if you're gonna wear a mask, try to make it lucha style. wwwlucha masks M-A-S-K-S dot com. We got masks from everyone and anyone you can think of from the lucha world. Soon we'll be adding a lot more. Those listening to this podcast, I'll let you guys know that we're adding some new people, including uh, very popular indie guys from Mexico, Japan, and one guy that I can't wait to release. But I'll do it here. We'll be adding soon. Uh, mask from Bandito. So uh, oh, yeah. stay, stay close to the website. Look it up. You know, get your mask. We have from six dollars all the way to thirty. So thank you for over supporting us. And one quick thing, if I if I if you guys don't mind, today we just went ahead and released. Um, um, all the masks that we were selling for Cain Velasquez, we were going to donate all proceeds um, to uh, the second, uh, second,
0: second second Harvest,
3: harvest um, of yes. Silicon Valley. So we donated uh, over $2,800 from um, the masks that we sold off Cain Velasquez that same day. Um, there were some people on there who were tripling any donation. So we donated well over $8,000 um, uh, worth of uh, dollars to this uh food bank and it a lot of a lot of meals uh, were made for these kids so um i'm not trying to here make myself be like the the savior anyone i'm just trying to make the most out of the platform that i have in front of me and yep. i'm trying to pay my bills because we all have to pay our bills but if i'm able to give back like we did with Cain velasquez um I, I'll, I'll do every everything i can so we was we still have Cain velasquez mask on sale so going out every mask that's still being sold to this point At some point when we hit a little bit of a little lump sum, we'll continue to be donated, you know, to Second Harvest. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Sam Adonis,
2: thank you so much for coming on the show, man. This has been a great interview, Gabe. Great interview. And, um, you know, I I can't wait for us to get back to it so that we can start, you know, this this train steamrolling again. We can have you back to see what you've been doing since.
1: Sounds good. Whenever you guys need me, I'm around. So uh, I was the pleasure was mine and I'll talk to you again.
2: Alright
3: brother, thank
1: you, all take right, care
2: guys. All right, bye. On, behalf of the po- on behalf of the podcast Gabe Ramirez, I am your master of ceremonies The king, fat boy, Papa Wesco We out And just like that, mi gente That is all she wrote Man, what a great interview Huge shout out Mad respect and a lot of love To my man, Sam Adonis He pulled up straight out of the bodega For an incredible sit down That did not disappoint Brother, when we get back to this, I feel like you're going to take off like a rocket ship. And I definitely want to have you back on later on down the line to see how you're doing. Until then, brother, we'll talk. And please stay safe. Well, that's all the time we got for this week. Tune in next week where we have pro wrestler, luchador, trainer, alumni of FCW, alumni of NXT, WWE superstar, and ring announcer for Alberto Del Rio Well, I probably didn't do it as well as he did I'm, I'm, Whatever, I'm talking about my man Ricardo Rodríguez He's gonna pull up to the podcast We're gonna have a great discussion but don't go yet. Before you do, check us out on social media. I'm talking about straight out of the bodega on Facebook, straight out of the bodega on Instagram, and hit up Twitter for the at that's sweeping the nation. Well, in my mind anyway. That's at str 8 Give us a follow. You might like what you find. Also check me out on social media. That's Papa Wesco on Instagram, Papa Wesco on Facebook, Papo underscore Esco on Twitter. Talk to me. I talk back. I promise. Well, like I said, that's all the time we got. On behalf of Straight Out of the Bodega, on behalf of the podcast, I am your master of ceremonies, the king fat boy Papa Wesco, and we are out.
0: lucha-masks.com powered by Pro Wrestling Revolution.